Thank you. That concludes general questions. The next item of business is First Minister's questions. And at question number one, I call Douglas Ross. Uh, thank you very much, Presiding Officer. This Parliament's Finance Committee called for updated costs of the SNP's controversial plans for a centralised care service to be given to them this week. Hamza Yusuf's government have refused. The last estimate for the centralised care service was £1.3 billion. But after that figure came out, Audit Scotland said this. It is likely that the overall cost of the measures will be significantly above the amounts currently assessed. So will the First Minister tell us now, how much is this really going to cost Scottish taxpayers? First Minister. Well, first and foremost, presiding officer, let's not forget why, of course, we are introducing and have introduced the National Care Service legislation. It's to end that postcode lottery of care that we all accept exists right up and down the country, that inconsistency of care that has existed. We want to introduce a system that ensures that we put fair work principles at the very heart of the National Care Service, yeah. that we put those who need care at the very heart uh, of a National Care Service. Uh, what I would say to Douglas Ross is, of course, and I think opposition quite rightly have asked for from the Scottish Government is to ensure we engage with local authorities, to ensure we engage with our trade First union Minister, colleagues. First Minister, sorry, just before we go any further, I would be grateful if members could treat one another with courtesy and respect. First Minister. It's hardly a surprise, presiding officer, that they groan when I mention fair work principles yeah. and working with uh, trade union colleagues. Uh, what I would say to Douglas Ross is he was one of the first to call for us to pause the National Care Service yeah. legislation yeah. so that we do engage with local governments, so we do engage with trade unions. We are doing that in order to hopefully find a level of compromise in the National Care Service legislation, which will allow us to take that forward with hopefully uh, an element of consensus. Now, depending on what that compromise is, of course, we'll then determine whether there's any changes to a revised financial memorandum. So once we've had that engagement intensively over the course of the summer, we'll return to the Parliament and ensure there is a revised financial memorandum. Yeah, yeah. Douglas Ross. He, he's, gosh. The, the muted applause hasn't got any better from last week, and, it, and it's no wonder because the answers haven't got any better either. The First Minister is suggesting there may be additional costs. Audit Scotland were very clear. The £1.3 cost is not going to be the final cost. It's going to be higher. And it turns out from that feeble answer that didn't address the point, the First Minister has no idea what it's really going to cost. He is throwing public money away when frontline social care services are in desperate need of more funding. The SNP could be investing to improve these local services. Instead, they're creating a bureaucratic nightmare and want a blank cheque to do it. Already, the SNP have wasted £14 million on this plan. They've spent £1.9 million on consultants. But the plans are not advancing, there are no signs of progress, and the legislation has been repeatedly delayed. So is the First Minister paying consultants a fortune to tell him what everyone else knows, his plans are woeful and they won't work? First Minister. It is uh, hardly a surprise that a National Care Service plan that puts fair work at the heart of it, yeah. that puts sectoral bargaining at the heart of our plans for National Care Services, that puts ethical commissioning at the heart of our National Care Service is wholly opposed by the yeah. Conservative Party. Hardly a surprise to anybody in this chamber 
hardly a surprise to our trade union colleagues and hardly a surprise uh, to the people of Scotland. And in all of that, why are we bringing it a national care service forward? We're bringing it forward because we know of the extreme challenges that are faced by those working in social care because of workforce. We know those, that is the biggest challenge that is faced by social care providers. And of course, one of the fundamental reasons for that workforce challenge is the hard Brexit yeah. imposed upon us by a UK government. So once again, the Scottish Government is having to pick up the pieces. Thank you. Once again, the Scottish Government is having to mitigate the woeful decisions made by a cruel Tory government. And how are we doing that? Yes, we are, of course, committed to spending the National Care Service, but we've also made sure that there's an additional £100 million to provide that pay-up lift from April of this year. This represents a 14.7% increase for these workers in the last two years. I was proud to make, when I was Health Secretary to make sure that there was not just one, not just two, but three pay uplifts for our adult social care workers. And we want to go further where we can. So we have committed to invest in social care right now to undo some of the damage done by the Conservatives' hard Brexit. And at the same time, we are absolutely committed to our plans for a national care service that will ensure fair work is at the very heart of any future care service. Douglas Ross. You, you wouldn't have guessed it. Thank you. you. You wouldn't have guessed it from that answer, but it was actually a question about spending almost £2 million on consultants on this proposal that the First Minister failed to address in his answer. But these plans are such a mess that his social care minister, Marie Todd, who sat in the chamber just now, said this this week. It's been a little bit hard for me to get my head around. A, a bit hard for the minister in charge to get her head around. First minister, she's talking about your plans. Because before Hamza Yusuf failed upwards, he was not just the health secretary, he was cabinet secretary for social care. He wrote these shambolic plans. So what does it say about the first minister's policy if his own care minister doesn't understand it? First minister. It, it just goes to show how desperate Douglas Ross is when he starts with the personal attacks on me or indeed any of my colleagues. Thank not you, on the policy, members. Not on the substance, on the personal attacks uh, from a man who is, of course, uh, the least popular uh, elected politician on these islands by any poll estimation in the entire country. Oh, and the best retort Douglas Ross has members. Is, I'm, is I'm catching you up. You're still the most unpopular leader, elected politician in this country by quite a country mile, uh, presiding uh, officer. Or Douglas Ross uh, is on consultancy spend because it is an important uh, point, of course. Uh, the Scottish Government and our officials are absolutely focused on making the National Care Service work. But it is, of course, important that we bring in those additional technical and specialist expertise that allows the Scottish Government to ensure that we make progress uh, on the legislation uh, itself. And in terms of uh, the finances around uh, the National Care Service, which is a very legitimate question, I've said, uh, of course, we will engage with trade unions, engage with local government, and hopefully, when we reach a compromised position on the National Care Service, we'll come back with a revised financial memorandum. But I'm hardly going to take, and neither will any of uh, ministers in my government, take any lectures on financial literacy yeah. from Douglas Ross, yeah. who demanded that this government yeah. copy Liz Truss's tax cuts, which would have cost the Scottish government £500 million and caused economic carnage to our Scottish public finances.
Kershaws. This is absolutely hopeless from the First Minister. He said it was a, a desperate tactic by me to quote his own minister. And, and listening to that answer, I'm pretty sure Marie Todd still can't get her head around the policy or the costings because it's quite clear the First Minister can't. This is all starting to look like another Hamza Youssef disaster. The man who couldn't get the trains to run on time, forced police officers to breaking point and left our NHS in crisis is now doing his best to throw social care into chaos as well. He doesn't know if he's building a national care service or a white elephant. Hamza Youssef has no idea how much this centralised care service is going to cost, or when this bureaucratic nightmare will be ready, or how it will improve the situation for people who desperately need better care. The last thing, the very last thing our struggling care service needs is an administrative overhaul costing billions of pounds when it's being starred of cash from the front line. So will Hamza Youssef do the right thing, stop wasting taxpayers' money and scrap these plans altogether? First Minister. Quite incredible, presiding officer, that when we have given a pay uplift to adult social care workers, Douglas Ross describes that as a waste yeah. of money. Because every penny we spend on social care is ensuring, is ensuring that we lift standards for adult social care workers, ensure we're lifting standards for those uh, who are in receipt of care. And while we do that, yes, build a national care service that has fair work at its heart, that builds a national care service that has ethical commissioning at its heart so that the profits from care aren't just gleamed away into bank accounts in the Cayman Islands, something of course the Conservatives uh, would like to see. A national care service that makes sure we put sectoral bargaining uh, at its very heart. That's what we are committed to. And all of that, of course, in the midst of the fact that we've had over a decade of austerity from Douglas Ross's Conservative. We've had a hard Brexit imposed upon us. And of course, the disaster of the mini budget, which if we had listened to Douglas Ross and gone ahead with tax cuts for the wealthiest, our budget would be worth £500 million less. So I'll take no lectures about financial literacy, nor indeed for standing Members. up for those who are working in our care service from Douglas Ross or the Conservatives. Question number two, Anna Sarwar. Officer, it's just been announced that interest rates will go up again, meaning higher mortgages, all because of Tory economic chaos. This in the same week that the SNP launched their campaign for another Tory government. So can I ask the First Minister to put aside his party's self-interest and be honest? What Members. is better for Scotland? They don't like the truth, Presiding Officer. So can I ask the First Minister to put aside his party's self-interest and be honest? What is better for Scotland, a Labour government or a Tory government? What's best for Scotland is independence, yeah. of course, because then we will have the powers in our own hands. And of course, it is Thank you. exceptionally Thank you. brave, exceptionally brave for Anna Sawar to go on this topic of this, this week of all weeks, because what we have with Keir Starmer's Labour Party, is somebody who's refused to reverse 
every single measure of Tory austerity. What we have with Keir Starmer is, of course, uh, an individual who's reneged on his promise to abolish tuition fees for students in England. What we have with Keir Starmer just yesterday is an individual who refused to repeal cruel Tory legislation, such as the illegal migration bill. Scotland doesn't need cruel, harmful policies imposed on it, whether it's by a politician that wears a blue tie or a politician that wears a red tie. What Scotland needs is the full powers of an independent nation to chart our own course and get out of this unequal and broken union. There you have it, Lady Officer. Thank you. There you have it, Lady Officer. Mr. Sarwar. We have visitors who have gathered to hear the questions and answers put. We have people tuned in across the nation who are also keen to do so. And I would be grateful, while I appreciate your passion and interest, that we try and behave ourselves with decorum. Mr Sarwar. I, I think you should be softer with them, presenting officer. It's the first time they've shown life in weeks, so we should, <laughs> we should appreciate uh, the SNP backbenchers. And isn't it amazing that they've shown life when it comes to attacking the Labour Party? A governing party, presenting officer, a governing party under investigation by the police sexual misconduct allegations, whistleblowers being silenced, division on the back benches. There's only one party that looks like the Tories, and it's not us, it's the SNP. Because the First Minister is so out of touch, he insults the intelligence of people across Scotland. Labour would deliver a new deal for working people and scrap the Tory anti-trade union laws. Labour would deliver a publicly owned energy company, something promised and failed to deliver by the SNP. Labour would make Scotland an R&D powerhouse, not impose SNP cuts on universities. Labour would bring down people's bills with a proper windfall tax, not something the SNP and the Tories support, because that's the change Scotland needs. Now, I know the First Minister is still trying to find his feet. I know the job can be quite confusing for him, but so isn't it the case that he prefers a Tory government because it's cover for his own incompetence? First Minister, you know, you know what, you know what the SNP is interested in, presiding officer. We're not interested in just getting rid of the Tories for a little while. We want rid of the Tory governments forever, and the way we do that, the way we do that is, of course, for voting for our independence. We don't want to replace Tory with Tory light or Tory with a pale imitation of Tories. And we know that Keir Starmer is lurching uh, to the right. They're no more, they're little more than a Conservative Tribute Act. Just, of course, last week, Labour are committed to keeping Tories' anti-protest legislation in place. On tuition fees, he's done a Nick Clegg, and he's ditched, of course, his pledge to make university education free. On progressive taxation, we are absolutely committed, leading the way in the Scottish Government on progressive taxation. What does Keir Starmer say when it came to income tax uh, for the top 5% of earners? He said, we're in a different situation now. I think we've got the highest tax burden since World War II. What about railways? Starmer, of course, was previously committed to nationalising railways. Now he says that on water, rail and other services, and I quote, I take a pragmatic approach rather than an ideological approach. So what I say to Anna Sawar is we are prepared to work with, with any political party in order to keep the Tories uh, out of number 10. Yeah. 
Why is he, why is uh, Keir Starmer refusing to work with the Scottish yeah. National Party in order to keep the Tories out of number 10? So we are the most progressive party on these islands. But I say to Anna Sawar, I don't want rid of Tory governments just for one year, just for five years, for one election cycle. We want rid of Tory governments in Scotland yeah. for good. Yeah. Anna Sawar. Yet again, yet again, presiding officer, more interested in attacking Labour than getting rid of a Tory government. And again, it's interesting, presiding officer. It's really interesting. He didn't want to talk Members. about. He didn't want to talk about poll ratings. He didn't want to talk about poll ratings with me. Oh. Why approval rating minus 12? Oh. Competent 22%, incompetent 40%, trustworthy 18%, untrustworthy 42%. Strong, 19%. Weak, 39%. Doing well, 19%. Doing badly, 44%. And the best of all, the best of all, better than his predecessor, 9%. Worse than his predecessor, 41%. A pale limitation of Nicola Sturgeon. I'm not sure if that's a compliment uh, anymore. But the SNP and the Tories, two sides of the same coin. Both wanting division, both wanting chaos, both wanting to damage Labour, both wanting a Tory government. All about saving their jobs, not Members. acting in the interests of the people of Scotland. Because Scotland is desperate for change and desperate to get rid of two failing governments. An economically illiterate and morally bankrupt Tory party, a dysfunctional and incompetent SNP government. So if you want change to lower your bills, to put more money into people's pockets, to earn, fire and rehire, to transform workers' Mr. rights, Sarwar. to create thousands Mr. of jobs, Sarwar. then surely... Mr Sarwar, I'm sorry to disrupt um, this session further, but members are doing a very, very good job on that account. And I would be grateful if you could remember the basic rules of the Code of Conduct, which require that we conduct ourselves with courtesy and respect. I am seeing little of that, and this is not continuing. Mr Sarwar, if you could please put your question to the person. Officer, they don't like it, the change is coming. They don't like it that they've been found out. They don't like it that they're plummeting. They don't like putting more money into people's pockets with a proper windfall tax. They don't like ending fire and rehire and scrapping the anti-trade union laws. They don't like creating tens Question, of thousands Mr. of new Sarwar. jobs. So surely even the First Minister can see that this is the change that Scotland needs and it can only be delivered by a Labour government. First Minister. Oh, presiding officer, I'm grateful even you had to step in to save the branch manager, the branch manager uh, of the Scottish Labour Party. And of course, the reason why Scotland won't trust Keir Starmer is because he is a born-again Brexiteer. Remember, of course, Brexit that has caused economic devastation to this country. And of course, Anna Sarwar said that uh, he wants to see a changing relationship with the European Union. We want to see a relationship with the EU that means that Scotland is back in the European Union, that we rejoin the European Union. And the only way to do that, presiding officer, is of course as an independent nation and an independent country. But here, here is the real proof about the fact that Keir Starmer's Labour Party has lurched again to the right. The very first major speaking event I went to was at the STUC. Yeah. Anna Sarwar was there. One person that wasn't invited, of course, was Keir Starmer. And of course, the Dundee TUC brought forward a motion. The Dundee TUC brought forward a motion condemning Keir Starmer's actions 
and behaviours. So they may well be led by a party that is named after the founder of the Labour Party. But if Keir Hardy could see the state the Labour Party is in, he would be burling in his grave, presiding officer. Question number three, Gillian Mackay. To ask the First Minister whether the Scottish Government will consider a full ban on disposable vaping products on health and environmental grounds. First Minister. We will give that uh, consideration. Lit consideration. Littering, of course, of any kind is uh, unacceptable. I share the members' concerns about the environmental impact of single-use vapes, not to mention, of course, the increased use amongst uh, children and young people who should not have access uh, to them, of course, in the first place. The Minister for Green Skills, for the Circular Economy and Biodiversity, has asked Zero Waste Scotland to examine the environmental impact of such product products and consider what the options are to tackle the issues. Uh, this review is considering a whole range of possible options, including a ban. Any future approach will be informed by the findings of the review, but I should make it quite clear that the use of these products is an issue we're taking very seriously and nothing is off the table at this stage. Julian Mackay. I thank the First Minister for that answer and look forward to the publication of the report commissioned by the Minister. Vaping has serious environmental and health impacts. That's why campaigners like Less Waste Laura, The Daily Record and a growing number of councils have highlighted those harms and I thank them all for their work. A full ban on disposable vapes is needed. But does the First Minister agree with me that there is much that can be done ahead of a full ban to reduce harm? Keeping products away from public view like cigarettes, raising awareness of the legal purchase age, highlighting disposable return points. Will the First Minister join with me in calling on retailers to step up to the plate and implement these measures? First Minister. Uh, yes, uh, I will uh, join in that call and, and we are keen to work uh, constructively with retailers uh, in, in uh, this uh, regard. I understand the many concerns around the environmental but also the health impacts of single-use vapes uh, that have been raised by campaigners, including uh, Less uh, Waste Laura, uh, who Gillian Mackay mentions, and of course our local government colleagues who I know also take this issue extremely seriously. We have 15 councils who have now called uh, for a ban. Uh, these as well as the issues the member raises around retail responsibilities are being looked at uh, in detail by the Minister for the Circular Economy uh, and indeed the Minister for Public Health as part of the review of the environmental impacts uh, and in our refreshed tobacco action plan which will be published in autumn later this year. Uh, this will include further action on education but also crucially on enforcement as well and I'll keep the member updated on publication of that strategy. Mercedes Fialba. Thanks to the work of local campaigners, in February this year, Dundee City Council supported banning disposable vapes and called for a national ban from the Scottish Government. So as there is already local support for such a ban, can I ask the First Minister what consideration the Scottish Government has given to introducing a pilot ban on disposable vapes in Dundee to help develop a model for a national ban? First Minister. I think it's very well worthy of consideration. As I referenced in my last uh, response, there's around about 15 councils uh, who have called for a ban, but I'm not surprised to see Dundee City Council, SNP led Dundee City Council, of course, leading uh, the way in this regard. So I'm more than happy to consider uh, the issue of a potential pilot, uh, but I do think it is important the work that we've initiated through the review is allowed to happen, and I will ensure that that work, of course, uh, is published, but we take uh, really immediate action because this is a, uh, an issue of growing concern, both for the environmental impact it's having, but clearly for some of the health impacts it's having too. Question number four, Fiona Hislop. 
to ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's position is on the view of the Children and Young People's Commissioner for Scotland that NHS Lothian should review its children's rights impact assessment of the decision to end the Youth Navigator programme which operates at St John's Hospital. First Minister. The Hospital Youth Navigator pilot will continue to be delivered by Medics Against Violence and NHS Partners uh, at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital for Children in Glasgow, uh, alongside the Adult Navigator programme in nine hospitals across Scotland. Uh, navigators are key uh, support workers who help individuals presenting at hospitals with multiple complex needs uh, to access those support services. I understand that no decision about further future funding has yet been taken at this time, uh, and that NHS Lothian are evaluating all of their youth work provision in hospitals, including the pilot that has been referenced uh, by Fiona Hislop and have confirmed uh, a children's rights and wellbeing impact assessment will be undertaken on those proposed options. A final report is expected to be discussed at the Children and Young People's Programme Board at the end of this month. Fiona Hislop. As the First Minister has acknowledged, the Youth Navigator is supported by Medics Against Violence, who have announced that funding will end at the end of June. It offers a youth work-based community outreach service to vulnerable young people aged 12 to 16, accessed a time of presentation at St John's Hospital in West Lothian, as well as the Sick Kids Hospital in Edinburgh. Does he acknowledge that having debated a trauma-informed approach to services only on Tuesday in this chamber, that preventative youth work, such as offered by the successful Youth Navigator programme, should be supported, not withdrawn, and that a full ch child impact assessment would have flagged that adverse childhood experiences often present as a crisis on hospital presentation, and early support and intervention actioned quickly can be most effective. First Minister. Uh, Fiona Hislop uh, makes a very important point indeed, and one that I fully subscribe to, particularly in my roles in justice and in health uh, previously, of course, taking that preventative trauma-informed approach, uh, particularly through the Navigators programme, uh, can make a difference and has made a difference to many young people, uh, in this case, in NHS uh, Lothian. So I do value the importance uh, of the service. Fiona Hislop is correct, uh, absolutely correct, in saying that the most effective approach, uh, as I say, to dealing with these issues, issues is to take a trauma informed and preventative uh, approach. I did reference in my, in my previous answer that uh, these matters are uh, under review uh, and that, of course, when it comes to the final provision of youth uh, services in NHS Lothian, there is confirmation that a children's right and wellbeing uh, impact assessment will be undertaken, but I'm, uh, I'm, I will ensure that the Cabinet Secretary uh, for Health and Social Care uh, makes representations to NHS Lothian on the important issues that uh, Fiona Hislop has raised. Sue Weber. First Minister, scrapping the service will have a devastating effect on vulnerable children and young people across the Lothian region. The QE hospital is hardly accessible. Many other youth work services have lost funding and statutory service like CAMS are at breaking point. Cutting back on youth work is the wrong course of action and will just store up problems for the future. We hear so often about the preventative approach being championed by the Scottish Government, and this project does the, exactly that. So why are we even considering cutting it? First Minister. Well, again, can I say to Sue Webber, I do agree with the uh, approach in relation to preventative uh, funding. Uh, and of course, this Government funds Medics Against Violence, an excellent organisation who I've had the pleasure of meeting uh, a number of times over the years. We, we fund them to the tune of £337,000 uh, in terms of this financial year, and they deliver a variety of violence prevention activity, including the core activity to deliver 
and support the National Hospital Navigator Programme. I, I go back to the answer uh, that I referenced to Fiona Hislop. This is a decision NHS Lothian uh, are reviewing. Uh, they are looking at the youth service provision in the round. Uh, and of course, they will do that important impact assessment uh, that Fiona Hislop uh, has called for. Uh, I'm more than happy that the government makes representations to NHS Lothian on the back. Uh, of uh, what has been said in the chamber uh, today. But ultimately, of course, this will be a decision uh, for NHS Lothian to take, and I would expect them to do the full impact assessments in this regard. Question number five, Pam Gossel. Thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister what action the Scottish Government is taking to support colleges and universities in Scotland. First Minister. Colleges and uh, universities make a crucial and unique contribution to Scotland. We're investing nearly £2 billion in the sectors each year through the Scottish Funding Council. And we make this funding flexible uh, where possible. I recognise the challenges, I recognise the pressures that colleges and universities are currently facing. And of course, we will continue to engage with the Scottish Funding Council, as well as the sectors directly, to ensure that institutions are financially stable. Pam Gosell. Thank the First Minister for that um, answer. Two weeks ago, the SNP government took a dagger to the heart of colleges and universities by cutting 46 million of funding that was only announced in December with no warning and no consultation. When the Scottish Budget was announced, the Scottish Government trumped a 12.7 million increase for higher education five months on from the budget. This is now 7.3 million cash cut between financial years. Since then, I have also received a letter from the City of Glasgow College stating that their intention to begin a process of 75 compulsory redundancies. Presiding officer, despite claiming education was her number one priority, the previous First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, failed Scotland's young people. So can I ask the First Minister, what is he going to do to prevent history from re repeating itself? First Minister. Well, it comes back to the question of the former First Minister. Can I remind you that uh, there are more young people from areas of deprivation going to university now than there ever have been before. That is down to the legacy of Nicola Sturgeon. We're closing the poverty-related attainment gap because of the actions uh, of the former First Minister. In terms of the savings that we've had to make, and these are difficult decisions that we have to make, I'm not going to downplay uh, the significance uh, and the effect that that uh, saving will have on both the colleges and university sector. But just to put it into some context, it is 2.3 per cent of the £2 billion budget for further education and for higher education in 2023-24. But why, are we, why did we have to make that saving? We had to make it because every single party, I think rightly, stood here and demanded that the Scottish Government uh, intervened, demanded that we uh, help to assist uh, local government in relation to settling the teachers' pay dispute. An additional £320 million had to be found to do that. It doesn't just yeah. grow in the proverbial exactly. uh, magic uh, money tree. So tough decisions had to be made. We were upfront uh, about that. So we'll take those tough decisions. We certainly won't take lectures from a, from a Conservative uh, member, of course, their party, the reason why, of course, uh, we are facing the financial constraints yeah. on the Scottish yeah. public finances. Can I remind Pam Goso, because of sky-high inflation, because of the decisions taken by a Conservative government, our Scottish finances last year were worth £1.7 billion less at peak inflation because of the economic carnage her party uh, inflicted upon Scotland. So, yes, we will take the tough decisions needed. Certainly won't take any lectures on financial and economic literacy from the Conservative Party. Will Rennie. Uh, Sally Mapstone, the head of University of Scotland, described 
this SNP government's policy on universities as managed decline. So why does the First Minister think this multi-million pound cut to the university's budget is going to reverse that managed decline? First Minister. I, I don't agree with that characterisation. I'm more than happy to meet with uh, Dame Sally Mapstone and other uh, university and college uh, principals in the course uh, of the coming weeks and, uh, and months and years uh, to come, because I do take her uh, views uh, very, very seriously uh, indeed. In terms of uh, the, the characterisation of managed decline, can I just remind Willie Rennie, of course, that the latest higher education stats show that a record number of Scottish domicile students uh, are studying at Scottish universities. We have some of the best universities in the world, world-class universities. That's because, of course, of the excellent, uh, uh, excellent initiatives by those universities, the excellent education that they provide, but also is down to the funding that the Scottish Government has put in to a higher education, further education sectors uh, for many, many years to come. So I'm more than happy to engage with the university and college principals, uh, but I simply do not accept its managed decline when we have such world-class universities such as St Andrews that are being funded uh, by the Scottish Government. Question number six, Katie Clark. Thank you, Presiding Officer. And I refer to my entry in the Register of Members' Interests to ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's position is on the potential impact of the proposed timetable reductions by ScotRail on efforts to secure a modal shift from car to train. First Minister. My understanding is that as a result of ScotRail's new May 2023 timetable, the number of daily services remains the same with no overall reduction and that resources are being focused on areas to better serve current demand. As a result, peak trains uh, and school connections have been prioritised in order to support that very modal uh, shift that uh, Katie Clark refers to. I want to make Scotland's public transport system more accessible. I want to make it more available. I want to make it more affordable. That is why I confirmed last month that the six-month pilot to remove peak, fare, uh, peak time fares from ScotRail services will start in October of this year. This intervention, uh, unprecedented in the UK rail sector, will also enable officials to gather evidence right across transport modes for the fare fares review and to inform future proposals, while of course encouraging, uh, importantly, modal shift. Katie Clark. I thank the First Minister for his answer. However, despite the Scottish Government's goal of reducing car use by 20% by 2020, ScotRail is proposing to cut many train services, including many commuter services, such as the 7.42am Largs to Glasgow service. Will the First Minister look at the case for maintaining the 7.42 Largs to Glasgow commuter service? And will he agree with me that we need to do far more to encourage people to use the railways rather than cars if we are to achieve our climate change target and will he carry out an assessment of how the timetable changes being proposed by ScotRail will impact on meeting these goals? First Minister. I agree with the absolute underlying premise of Katie Clark's question. It's so important that we make public transport available, affordable as best we possibly can and as accessible as we possibly can in order to get that modal shift away from car uh, to public transport. In terms of the very operational matters uh, that she refers to, uh, I will ensure that the Transport Secretary uh, does engage with ScotRail, but they are operational matters uh, for ScotRail. In terms of the 742 from Largs to Glasgow, uh, my understanding is that it's been replaced by the 754 from Adrossan to Glasgow. An additional train has been added to the timetable from Adrossan to Glasgow, departing at 726. The May 
2023 timetable will also provide uh, journey saving times for those passengers travelling on the air to Glasgow route. And following on from customer feedback, uh, the Adrosan and Lag services will now call at stations in the Garnock uh, Valley to improve uh, connection. So there has been changes that have been made right across the timetable, uh, directly influenced by user uh, feedback. Uh, what I would say to Katie Clark is uh, she's absolutely right. We do need to continue to do more uh, in order to ensure that public that modal shift happens between car and public transport. And that's why I'm really pleased. And one of my first acts as First Minister was to announce the beginning uh, of the pilot to abolish peak uh, rail fares that will run for six months from October this year. John Mason. Thank you. Uh, can the First Minister confirm that passenger numbers have not returned to pre-COVID levels, partly because people are working at home, and that means a shortfall in cash for either the railways or the government? Can he confirm how that shortfall is being made up? First Minister. Yeah, John Mason is absolutely right uh, to raise the issues uh, that he does. Clearly, passenger numbers are still recovering uh, from the pandemic, so income levels uh, are still down. But Scotland's rail operators are also, of course, having to meet those really high inflationary costs that are affecting every single business, every single person uh, right now. All of that, of course, impacts on our rail budget. But I understand that the cost of implementing the May 2023 timetable change is hopefully projected uh, to be neutral. Uh, it's difficult, difficult to accurately assess the exact financial impact of passenger numbers that have not yet returned to pre-COVID levels, but it's good that demand continues to, uh, even if it's incrementally, continues to increase and is currently recovered to over two-thirds of pre-COVID levels. Clearly, uh, we want Scotland's publicly controlled railways to succeed, uh, both in the short and the long term. ScotRail has been working hard through a range of promotions in recent months to encourage more people to travel by train, not least because of the contribution rail can make and should make and will make to addressing climate change and cutting transport emissions. Thank you. We move to general and constituency supplementaries, and I call Claire Adamson. Thank you very much, Presiding Officer. Following the tragic death of Hamie Carsey in Mallorca due to a suspected carbon monoxide leak in a holiday home, I know the Chamber's thoughts and condolences will be with Mr Carsey's friends, loved ones, and especially his wife, now recovering. The dangers of carbon monoxide are frequently a subject for the cross-party group on accident prevention and safety awareness. Regulations vary greatly, both here and abroad. So does the First Minister agree that members of the public should consider heeding the advice from organisations such as ROSPA and the Safer Tourism Foundation and consider a carbon monoxide alarm as essential holiday packing? First Minister. Uh, yes, I do agree with that. And of course, I'm, my thoughts uh, are with, of course, the family of Jamie Carsey uh, and indeed, of course, with his wife, Mary, uh, who remains, my understanding is, remains in a very serious condition in hospital and of course with their friends, their family and the community that will be deeply saddened and rocked uh, by these events. A carbon monoxide detector can give people a important uh, life-saving warning uh, of a faulty appliance. In Scotland it is of course a legal requirement to include a carbon monoxide detector in any room with a carbon-fueled appliance. Fitting one of these detectors uh, is vital for safety. It could literally, quite literally, save uh, your life. So I would encourage everyone to find out about the importance of being aware of the signs of carbon monoxide poisoning uh, and the actions that can keep, uh, that can keep them safe uh, as well. And you can uh, find more information on, and all one word, uh, gassafetyregister.co.uk. Uh, uh, sorry, I'll say that again, gassafetyregister.co.uk. So more information can be found. Uh, but I hope, uh, of course, that uh, 
that, uh, we, uh, that, that Mary Somerville, uh, the wife of Jim Carsey, uh, continues hopefully uh, to recover. And my thoughts again uh, with her and the family of Jim Carsey. Douglas Lumsden. Uh, President officer, yesterday the fight to save six libraries on Buxburn swimming pool in Aberdeen moved to the courts. Will the First Minister contact the SNP administration at Aberdeen City Council and tell them to get a grip, listen to the people they are meant to serve and not fight them in the courts? Or is this yet another example of the SNP failing the people of the North East? Um, but before the First Minister responds, I will remind members again that questions to the First Minister should be put on matters for which the Scottish Government have general responsibility. Uh, and of course, it is the SNP-led government that has increased funding for local government. And of course, it would be Douglas Lumsden who would be the first one to complain if we interfered and intervened in local decisions that are being made. Uh, what I won't do is, of course, comment on any potential live court proceedings uh, that are taking place, but we have increased funding uh, to local government. And, of course, we respect the decisions that are being made uh, by local government. And it is their right to make those decisions, of course, under uh, Section 163 of the Local Government uh, Act 1973. So we'll continue to make sure we fund uh, local government, but we won't, what we won't do uh, is intervene and interfere in those locally made decisions. Monica Lennon. This evening, alongside the STUC and the Sunday Mail, I am hosting a parliamentary reception to celebrate the Food for Thought campaign and the positive impact of universal free school meals across Scotland. All MSPs are invited and we hope that the First Minister can join to hear directly from young people how access to universal free school meals is reducing poverty, inequality and stigma. Further to comments he reportedly made in the Daily Record, can the First Minister provide an update on the rollout of universal free school meals in primary schools and on the pilot programme to be launched in secondary schools? First Minister. I can say to Monica Lennon and for others that have an interest in this issue, of course, the SNP-led government is the party of universalism. That is why, of course, we abolished uh, tuition fees, something that Keir Starmer's Labour Party, of course, uh, are not going to be doing. It's why we're the party of uh, the baby box. It's why we're the party, of course, uh, that has introduced universal free school meals, P1 to P5. And yes, of course, stood in a manifesto commitment and remain committed uh, to the future rollout in terms of P6 and P7, of course, uh, looking at a pilot as well in secondary schools. I simply made the point, and I continue to make the point, and I made this point at the Anti-Poverty Summit, uh, that we will look at what more we can do around progressive taxation. That we will, because of the economic carnage that has been inflicted upon us by the UK government, have to look at making really tough decisions. We will have to look at targeting, uh, of course, across a range of potential policy areas. There's not, a, there's not a conflict between universalism and being targeted. Yes, there are some, uh, there are some rights that should be universal, such as the right to a free education, to free university education. They are rights. They are not benefits. They are not luxury. At the same time, we should absolutely make sure we're being targeted uh, where we can, such as, for example, the Scottish Child Payment, that game-changing intervention which is helping the poorest in our society. So we are the party that is both, of course, the party of universalism, but also the party that makes sure we target our resources towards those that absolutely need the most help, particularly in the face of a UK government that is, that is inflicting harm upon harm on the poorest in our society. Fergus Ewing. Uh, presiding officer, uncontrolled bracken 
is the perfect breeding ground for ticks, ticks which carry diseases that infect humans, diseases such as the debilitating Lyme's disease. So will the First Minister end the delay and instruct the authorisation of Asilox, Asilox the, the only effective treatment in order to control Bracken? And given that time is running out, both for its procurement and use in the available season, uh, will he do that straight away? And if not, does he appreciate that the outcome will be likely the widespread infection of many human beings with this dreadful Lyme's disease? First Minister. I'll, of course, uh, look into the issue uh, that Fergus raises, the serious issue that Fergus Ewing uh, raises. The, the Scottish Government does recognise uh, the concerns about the potential risk of uncontrolled bracken, the difficulties associated uh, with its control, particularly here uh, in Scotland. As Asulox is a herbicide which has no current EU or UK authorisation, there is a specific legislative uh, conditions that must be met in order to grant an emergency authorisation of the product uh, to ensure that high level of protection for human health uh, and for the environment. Health, uh, HSE is responsible for assessing emergency authorisation applications right across the UK against the legislative requirements. The Scottish Government considered and promptly responded to HSE's recommendation. HSE, my understanding is, will issue the decision to the applicant once all other UK governments have responded. The Scottish Government is aware of the importance of effective pesticides when used as part of an integrated approach, and our position is very much guided by regulation and, importantly, crucially, by scientific evidence too. Liam Kerr. Mr. Grateful, Presiding Officer. This week, three quarters of people surveyed said that they think we should meet our domestic energy needs from UK oil and gas production yeah. rather than imports. This government's energy strategy specifically includes a presumption against new exploration and production in the North Sea. Now, yesterday, this First Minister tried to please both sides of this debate, yet carefully committed to neither. So here's the chance to get off the fence. Given the need for energy security to protect thousands of Scottish jobs and the climate benefits of local production, will he remove from the energy strategy this government's intention to close down the North Sea. First Minister. Well, what, what the government uh, will do, presiding officer, is of course listen to those consultation yeah. responses. Yeah. It just closed a couple of days ago. We've had over 1,500 responses. We'll analyse uh, them carefully. But be in no doubt at all, presiding officer, that we are absolutely committed to a just transition, a transition away uh, from oil and gas, but importantly and crucially for our economy and for our planet to make sure we unleash that potential of the green economy. So we have to make sure we live up to our climate obligations, both domestic targets and international obligations. We have to make sure uh, that we are playing our part in energy security, again domestically but also internationally too. But what we absolutely won't do is what the Liam Kerr's Conservatives did yeah, to the mining and steel communities in the 1970s and yeah. 80s. We won't throw a single worker in the North East on the scrap heap uh, during this just transition process. So what you will see from the Scottish Government when it comes to unlocking our green potential is action. And what we're seeing from the UK Government is complete and utter inaction. For example, failing to make any meaningful progress on investment in the Scottish cluster or indeed in the Acorn project in particular. Complete and utter abject failure and inaction from the UK Government. Whereas we will take action to make sure we unleash the potential of the green economy, not just in the North East, but for the whole of Scotland. And that is important because uh, we want to, of course, invest 
and unlock the potential for our economy, but it's also a moral imperative to ensure the sustainability of our planet in the future. And Neil Booby. Thank you, President Officer. The Economy Secretary has now said he would like to see Ferguson Marine return to private ownership as soon as possible. The GMB rightly say the Ministry of Defence work from BAE is a sign of confidence in the workforce and the Scottish Government should follow suit by developing a plan for the direct award of smaller vessels with robust oversight in place. The GMB are right, changing ownership and plunging the workforce into more uncertainty is not the solution. It is important we listen to them. In fact, if their warnings had been listened to earlier, perhaps we would not have the fiasco we have now. Does the First Minister not accept that, given this whole mess is of the Government's making, it is the Government's job to clear it up? First Minister. Of course, the Government stepped in and saved hundreds of jobs on the Clyde. We saved hundreds of jobs. I make no apology for that. Of course, uh, there have undoubtedly uh, been challenges which the Government has fronted up. But when it comes to GMB's uh, letter on this issue, public versus uh, private ownership. What Neil Gray said has been the government's position for a long time. It's always been the intention mm -hmm. of the Scottish Government to return Ferguson's Marine to private ownership. Indeed, this was made yeah. clear when we announced the yard being taken into public ownership in the very first place. There's not much, uh, having seen the GMB letter, there's not much in the GMB letter that we disagree with. We want to work with them, with the wider workforce, to secure the best possible future and the outcome yeah. uh, for the yard. Because we do absolutely have faith uh, in that yes. workforce and Absolutely. in the future of the yard. Investment in the yard is, is, is about more than just profitability, as important, of course, as that is. It is also about the retention of skills yep. around jobs, manufacturing capability. And these will be key considerations in any decision over the future of the yard. Any deal to see the yard return to private ownership must prevent value for money. But let me uh, be absolutely unequivocal about it. It must also ensure it continues the good work on fair work, which is at the heart of everything this government does. Yeah. Thank you. That concludes First Minister's questions. The next item of business is a member's business debate in the name of Rachel Hamilton. And there will be a short suspension to allow those leaving the chamber and public gallery to do so.